0: Y'all, when when Brother Dusty knocked that Cheetos bag out of Alan's hand, we did that in we did that in two takes. And the first time he did it, it scared us all to death. <laughs> I mean, like, awesome. That was fun. Uh, y'all pray for Brother Dusty. Brother Dusty's preaching again this morning. <laughs> he's retired, as he's uh, continuing to preach in North Alabama. So y'all continue to pray for him. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter 1, as we continue to discuss bringing it in, working together, standing together, fighting together, one spirit and one purpose as the church, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 28 through 30, the Bible says, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together, and you have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Just a a few weeks ago, we had a a lady uh, that some of our folks in our membership met, very distressed, going through a very difficult time. And, and needing uh, a few things, needing some clothes, needing food. And when people come here needing, fo- uh, needing food and clothes, it's they in need. Amen. And so uh, as I see it in the scripture, that's our responsibility to help somebody. So she, she comes in and a few of our, our church members get some things together. i put them in a bag, present all those things to her. And she was very grateful. Uh, and then before, after, after she left, I, I said, "Ma'am, we would love to have you come to church here. And she kind of acted surprised. And sometimes people that are in need are very intimidated uh, by church. And they'll ask, you, like, for real, like, I can for real come in there? And I said, if, well, if somebody says you can't, you let me know, right? Like, you can come in this church. And so as I invited her to come back, though, she, she had a little bit of resistance. And she said, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to come in there because I've had people tell me that y'all don't teach it the right way in there. That y'all preach it a way that's and teach that's that's not accurate, and she said, "Brother so and so told me that that you guys don't don't exactly teach the word the way that it should be," and and I got a little fired up just to be quite honest, and I said, "Well, brother so and so ain't in front of you handing this bag of food and clothes now, is he?" And I don't know if that was the best response, <laughs> but I got a little frustrated. And, uh, and because of the situation, and I, I say all that to start off this message not with, not to get us all frustrated today, right? We got enough of that. But, but to remind us that if you're on the team, you'll have opposition. If you're in the game, there's opposition in the game. Two Sundays ago, we discussed that every team has a reason. Every team plays for a reason, every team, and and, and as the church of Jesus Christ, our reason is the glory of God. Glory to God in the church and in Christ Jesus, is what the Bible says in Ephesians. A week ago, we discussed that every team has a name, that we are citizens of heaven. Together, we rep the name, stand the same, and play the game. This week, the scripture in verse 28 of Philippians mentions the word enemies, adversaries, Now, last week, as we discussed how Paul was speaking to the church, he used military and athletic language. Standing together, fighting together, one spirit, one purpose. So it makes sense that as he's using this athletic or this military language, that he is leading towards a word about opposition. And that's where the word here in verse 28 means. It means to lie opposite. As the scripture says, don't be intimidated in any way by those who lie opposite, those who oppose you. For the church, opposition can either be on the inside or the outside. If you look in Philippians chapter 4, it mentions two ladies in the church that were faithful followers of Jesus Christ, that were co-workers with Paul as he was sharing and spreading the gospel. And then, without specifics, Paul tells us that they are being sidelined because of a disagreement. Two women that were working hard for the gospel. And then in verse 3, he is writing this letter to the church and saying, help these two women. And then in verse 3, it says, they worked hard with me, telling others the good news. Did you notice the tense of that word, worked? Past tense. It's what they used to do. They worked hard. Did you know that sometimes we on the inside can be the outside's best player? We on the inside can be the other team's MVP. When a conflict arises and we don't handle it the right way, either by dealing with it because it's a big deal or dropping it because it ain't, when we don't deal with conflict that happens in here, what happens is the work that we're a part of at least slows up, if not stops. But oftentimes, it does stop. And our ministry that is now is a ministry that was. And we've done the work of the enemy for him. We've become the other team's best player. ...when we don't get it right on the inside. That's inside opposition. That's what he was addressing in Philippians chapter 4. But Paul doesn't tell us who the enemies are specifically. And it's likely that it was outside opposition. If, if It could have been the Jews. It could have been the Jews because if even if, it, if there's not a large Jewish population here in Philippians... We know that simply from reading the New Testament that, that they have a hard fight against Jesus being the Messiah and, and God's way to be saved through grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, not through works. This kind of opposition that the church still faces, opposition like this, is because the church believes Jesus to be the only way, the only name under heaven by which we must be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and there ain't nobody else. And so there's, there's opposition to the church because it's so exclusive. But the gospel is the most inclusive thing in the world. For God so loved the world. Here's the deal. You just got to get saved on his terms. (laughs) God don't come to terms with us. We come to terms with God. This is God's way. Amen? And so opposition to this, to the church because of this, is because Jesus is the only way. But it could also have possibly been the Roman population. There was a large Roman population in Philippi. The church was an early church plant, as I understand it. The church of Philippi, Philippi was about eight years old, surrounded by a large population of Romans. And in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas did a good work, and in that work, they were questioned by somebody whose money-making scheme it messed up. Because of their good work in the world, it messed up part of the culture that he was enjoying. And this man in Acts chapter 16, verse 21, goes to the Romans officials and says, they are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Opposition like this rejects the church because the church is Jesus above the culture. We're going to do it the Lord's way, and it don't matter the way that the world says to go. And and if you see in the scriptures, Jesus says that he, as he is the Prince of Peace, Jesus is the Prince of Peace for those who are underneath his lordship. But for the rest of the world, looking on, not buying it, Jesus is divisive. Read the gospel. That's what he says. I come to divide. And so there's opposition to the church because the church follows Jesus above the culture. And truth unifies as certainly as it divides. Or it divides as certainly as it unifies. But there's another opposition that's not on the inside or the outside. There's another opposition to the church and the members of the church that's on another level. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the Bible says, For we, the church, are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against spirits in the heavenly places. This is what's called or what's known as spiritual warfare. And it's real. Can somebody say amen to that? This is called spiritual warfare. This is a non-material, non-physical kind of struggle led by Satan himself. This exhibits itself in in that your self-control may be under attack. That's the opposition. That's not a physical on the inside or the outside. That's from another level. It could be that your pride is being attacked. It could be that you're dealing with anger. You're dealing with resentment. Your ministry can't get started because you're dealing with insecurity. This is on that spiritual level. It may be the attack on what you believe is true. Like you know what you believe is true. You know that it's right. You know who Jesus is. You know that the word of God is true. But there's a temptation to go the other way because of the influence of the world and the culture. And it's on the inside. Now it's looking like it's on the outside. This is spiritual warfare. And opposition like this attempts to frustrate the church because Satan is a defeated foe. So he can't win and what he's going to do is mess with us. And he does a really good job of it at times. This is not the most fun sermon to preach, I'm just going to tell you. As we begin to talk about standing together and fighting together, one in spirit, one in purpose, and then we put an opposition to that fight, and then we put an enemy to that cause, we understand now that it gets a little bit tougher. Yeah, sure, you can make a layup and get on base and catch a touchdown pass when there's no opposition. That's easier. You can advance a military. You can conquer a territory. And that's easier when there's no opposition. Can I tell you something else? There ain't no glory in that. Let that sink in. There's no glory in that. There's no glory in me going out to a baseball field today and pitching a ball up and hitting it to the fence and running to first. (laughs) There's no glory in that. There's no glory in an army taking a, a territory that's unoccupied. Without opposition, there's no glory in that. And so, when the church in Jesus Christ stands firm together, fights together without intimidation of the enemy or opposition, God gets the glory. Check mark. Now, let's pray before we get to the points. Lord, I just pray, oh God, that we recognize that there is real opposition, but that you are almighty. You are our king, victor. Lord, you have won every battle. Lord, I thank you for your power and your might. I thank you, Lord, for the guarantee of salvation for those who believe. And it's my prayer, O God, for today, for those who are struggling, that they would come away with confidence, remembering the guarantee that you've made of salvation. And, Lord, for our endurance, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Point number one, opposition means that you're in the game. Opposition means that you're in the game. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies, the Bible says. Since I called upon the name of the Lord to save me at 11 years old, God saved me. And since I called upon his name, I've been forgiven. I've been freed from the penalty and the power of sin. I'm not perfect, but God's still working on me. God has purposed me. He's positioned me. He's given me a passion for the things that he's passionate about. God sustains me. He protects me. He provides for me. But something else happened when God saved me when I was 11. When God saved me, self, Satan, and the world opposed me happened ever since I was saved. Now, oftentimes it's been very subtle, but oftentimes it's been very direct. It's come straight for me. And church, it would be a complete error for us to think that once we get saved, the battles stop. And once we get saved, that everything is good from there on out, nothing else happens that challenges us. In reality, new battles are just beginning when we get saved. Think back through the Old Testament with me. Think back to the, through the Old Testament and who we think of As we think of heroes of the faith showing us and pointing the way towards Jesus, when we think about Adam and Eve and Abel and we think about Abraham and Moses and Joshua, we think about Ruth and Hannah and David, so much of who we are reading about is God's people that are struggling. And they are being faithful through those struggles, or they are proving themselves unfaithful through those struggles. That's what we're reading about a lot when we read in the Old Testament. And then we get to the New Testament, and the disciples, and the early church, and Jesus himself. Faithfulness in the face of opposition. It's hard. When you are in a world that rejects Christ, and you are living for Christ, there's going to be opposition. And it's going to feel that way. Let me put it to you this way. Once you're saved, you have a regularly scheduled opponent. And your life, a lot of times, our life looks like this. Take a look at this. It's on the screen. This is your upcoming schedule when you're a citizen of heaven. Week 1 through week 10. This is what we're up against. Some of these things are physical. Some of them may be family members that mock you for your faith. Some of them may be coworkers criticizing you for how you're handling things with a biblical worldview. Those may be physical opponents. Some of these things are, are, are not physical. Some of these things, maybe they're on the inside physically where there's jealousy between one, one member and another. But a lot of these things are on the spiritual level where you've got unforgiveness and fear. You've got resentment and temptation. There's pride. There's doubt. And, and for some of us, we can take this schedule right here and we can knock off about eight or ten of those or, or eight of those and two of those are every week. We even know the day that it will come. We know exactly what we're up against, and those are the two things that we deal with. There's opposition in our life because we're trying to live a life that's full of faith. Can you identify with this? Well, at least be encouraged to know that if that looks like your schedule, you're in the game. If if you can identify with this, that you are up against a temptation to be someone who God has called you not to be, you're in the game. If you are trying and attempting and desiring to live for God's glory, but people or problems or circumstances are standing in the way, welcome to the game. You're not a spectator. You're playing. Regardless of what the opposition looks like in your personal life. Or regardless of what the opposition looks like around our local church. This is what the scripture says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer Persecution. Now, that did not say everybody in the church and everybody that came to church today. Do you notice that? It didn't say that everybody that goes to group or everybody that comes to church, everybody listens to it online. That's not what it said. The Bible says everyone who desires to live a godly life, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And I would love to tell you today that this word persecution is softer than what you think. I'd love to tell you that it ain't that bad. But that's not what I'm going to tell you. Because the word persecution actually means hunted like wild beasts. Now listen to that again. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be hunted like a wild beast. That's what it says. Now what does that mean? That means pressure constantly. That means certain opposition. That means unrest. Can you get this visual in your mind? That, that means difficulty often. And sometimes that means loss. It means you're you're taking a few L's. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation, but it means maybe you've had a bad day and gave to it. But everybody that desires to live godly will have enemy, whether that be on the inside, the outside, or on another level, spiritual level. If you are in Christ, because you are in the world, you will have opposition. And it may look different for each person. But now this doesn't say, again, that everyone in the church will suffer persecution. It says everyone who wants to live a godly life. For those who truly want to honor God with their lives, it's going to be difficult at times because of opposition, subtle or not. And I think it's very possible for us on the inside to to not experience resistance at all. Because it's possible that we are not living by faith, we're just living. And, and when you thank God for salvation, but you go on living like you want to do, then don't expect any opposition because devil's got you already like he wants you. If there's no opposition coming your way, if there's no spiritual warfare, if there's nobody that's a critic against you and the things that you're proclaiming that are biblically true, I think sometimes we need to check ourselves as to who we claim we are. Because again, you can be a Christian and not face persecution because I think And I I think you can come to church and be a part of a culture of Christianity and not desire to live a godly life because you'd rather keep yourself comfortable. Church can do the same thing. Y'all, if we don't want to ruffle any feathers, that's fine. We don't want to get out in the community and get our hands dirty, that's fine. We can expect no opposition. We can sit back and be real easy. But there's no glory in that. There's no glory in it. No glory for God. There's no glory for God in the church because we want to come in here and sit down and be comfortable. This is not in my notes, so I'm trusting the Lord to guide us. Amen. If we want to stay safe, if we want to blend in, if we want to allow culture to influence us instead of church influencing culture, I don't think we'll experience opposition at all. You know, sometimes when the, the lady at the beginning, when she said... Yes, yeah, I've heard by some folks in a different denomination, y'all don't preach the truth. I thought, amen, we in a game. We're doing something. Secondly, intimidation is a bad look. Intimidation is a bad look. The scripture says, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. When you read this, does it kind of surprise you that this is biblical language? That God is telling his people this? Hey, y'all are going to be saved. You need to act like it so the other people know they're not going to be. Those who are mocking you. Those who are criticizing you. Even though it's God's desire to save them as well. Amen? It is God's desire to save the mocker. It's God's desire to save the critic. Even in that instance, when we are up against that opposition, we're not to cower down because why? Because we win. Why, why be intimidated when you know you're going to win? God's word to the church as they stand and fight together for the gospel is to do so with no intimidation, with no terror, with no alarm. I'm living by faith and feel no alarm. That's a Brother Dusty moment. But I feel no alarm. I'm living by faith. God says I win in the end on his terms. I'm in. No intimidation. When the victory is not guaranteed, you ought to be intimidated. A little. When the victory is nowhere near guaranteed, you ought to be intimidated. Think about the most intimidating place you've ever been. The most intimidating place I've ever played ball was Hazelwood High School. Now, some of y'all don't even know that that exists or existed. Hazelwood was bad at the bone when I was growing up. And I didn't play football over there. I went there and we played basketball over at Hazelwood. And when you walk into the dim, lit lobby, you are met by blue map trophies all across the lobby, which is not like invitational tournaments at Thanksgiving. That's state championships hitting you in the face. And then you walk past the dim lobby quickly because you don't want any more of that. And when you walk into the gym, they've got life-size cutouts of Parade All-Americans that are now playing at Bama and Auburn. Just in football, I know. Then you walk into the locker room, and in the locker room is about as big as a matchbox, and they want it that way for you because it's intimidating. And there's a bathroom in there, but nobody uses it because it's way too close to everybody. (laughs) So you don't do that. And then when you come out on the floor, there's a little bit of a hope because you're you're shooting layups on one end that's nine and a half feet. if 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 I'm lying, I'm dying. Nine and a half feet. Josh Shirley, our student pastor, also played over there. Josh can attest to that wherever he is. There he is right there. We talked about it and had a good laugh at it. But here's the deal. On that end, you get to warm up on... Nine and a half feet, you're down by 20 at halftime, so they're dunking on it in the second half. It was awful, terrible, intimidated. A buddy of mine said, man, you were beat when y'all walked in y'all's own lobby. (laughs) I thought that was good and true. But when you have no guarantee of victory, and I would even say this, when you have no confidence of victory, it's going to be a bad day, and you ought to look intimidated. Intimidated. But when you are guaranteed victory and you look intimidated, then you just look plain foolish. Intimidation is a bad look when you're guaranteed victory. Now, again, if we're standing together and we're fighting together and all conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, like it says in the Bible, then this should give us confidence as we face self-Satan and the world. But this is not even about confidence, y'all. This is about a guarantee that God gives. And the scripture says, you're going to be saved even by God himself. You're going to be saved. You're going to bust heaven wide open. Even if something gets you here, it won't get you there. Forever in peace and in fellowship with God. This, this is God. This is God's guarantee to the church. And so to live through this life with intimidation up against persecution and opposition looks foolish. It's a bad look. I know I've read 1 John chapter 5 a lot as you read through the scriptures. But for some reason, when Brother Sonny Schofield read it to me in his office a couple of times, it just sounded different coming from him. And as I listen to him quote, quote these words and put emphasis on these words, I want to read it to you because, again, if you are in Christ and have the victory, then Paul is saying to you and to me today and this time, there's no need for you to have intimidation against these struggles. 1 John chapter 5 verses 11 through 13 says, And this is what God has testified. This is what that means. This is what God says to you no matter how you feel. This is what God says above your feelings to you. This is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. And whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. I have written these things in the name of the Son of God, so that you, and this is where he put the emphasis always, so that you may know you have eternal life. Eternal security, confident in God, eternal life. Back up to verse 5 of that same chapter in the Scripture says, And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Have you turned from yourself and turned to God? Have you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation so that you can get into an eternal heaven with God? Have you repented of your sin and turned to God and placed faith in Jesus? If you have, you should not be intimidated by any of your enemies, whether they be on the inside, outside, or on another level. You should be confident in the face of opposition because eternal life, heaven, paradise, guaranteed by who? By God, that's it. Now, if you don't have that guarantee, you ought to be scared to death. That's the truth of it. This this past week, our staff fed a local football team. Chicken fingers, mashed potatoes, green beans. Went into that local football team about 545. At 515, I got to stand and address them. As I stood, I shared the same thing with them that I'm sharing with you. The scripture says that there's only one name under heaven by which men must be saved. That's the name of Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father unless they go through him. And so this is what I told them as we sat there in that locker room in that field house. I said to them, I said, if you have placed your confidence in anything or anyone outside of Jesus Christ to get you into heaven, then you need to be scared to death of death. That's your opponent. That's not applicable just in a locker room. That's applicable in here. I'm assuming everybody's lost this morning, just to be quite honest with you. I'm share the i reminded every Sunday to assume that everybody's just lost. That's why we share the gospel and preach to Jesus every time we preach. Because there may be at least one or many in here today that God is working on, and he's not drawing you back into something you already had. He's drawing you into a right relationship that you never had. And so if today, if today, if you're thinking to yourself, I'm intimidated, but it's not a bad look, it's who I really am. Because I'm scared to death of death because I do not know Christ. I've never turned from myself and turned to God. I've not placed my faith in Jesus Christ. Well, then today's the day. And those who are here that are saved are going to welcome you in and we're going to love on you and help you to become and grow confident in who you are in Christ. But if you are in Christ and everything that comes along knocks you down, Scripture is saying to you that intimidation is a bad look. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. I spoke with a godly man this week. A godly man who's in this church that if, that if he had the opportunity and could, he'd be sitting right here today with us. He got some terrible news. And I called him on the phone and I talked to him and I, I just called to check in and he's one of those guys when you call him I felt like I was calling him to minister to him and it didn't work out that way because he just started ministering to me and I was like, that's not why I called you <laughs> Stop making me feel better about my faith. Right, like, right. That's And so as I, I called him and I was I was talking to him. This is what he said I said, man, I'm, I'm so sorry. I want you to know i'm so sorry. We love you And this is what he said. He said Oh, i'm at peace and i'm gonna trust the lord And I'm going to move forward. You see, that's like looking in the face at self, Satan in the world and going, what else you got? What else you got? And that's good. I hope we take it with us. Amen. The scripture also leads us to this point that salvation is a privilege. But I have to add this in a parenthesis. But so is suffering. Salvation is a privilege, but so is suffering. Look at the scripture and what it says in verse 29 for or because you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in christ but also the privilege of suffering for him you've been given not only the privilege of trusting in christ but also the privilege of suffering for him i think we can all agree that it's an honor to be saved amen i I think when we take a look at our salvation we understand real quick that it is an honor that god would gift us salvation that we just have to receive it and that jesus has done all the work through the system of sacrifice it's an honor that, that God, would, knowing who we are, that, that would give us this gift because, hey, we're not entitled to be saved just because we're alive. We don't get to just experience e- eternal life just because we're here. Again, God did this for us because we're not worthy of it. So, again, I can be confident in the eternal life because of who God is, not because of who I am, and that God has saved me and is sanctifying me. It's an honor to be saved. But when we talk about suffering, nobody wants to say, man, yeah, it's an honor to suffer. It's hard. We we had a a lady in the first service that she was expressing her her desire to get over the pain that she was feeling. And I was almost like, well, you ought to be feeling pain because you're in the middle of it. Suffering's hard. And we all know people that have suffered or that are suffering right now. Because Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And then he said, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. But notice the first part where he says, in this world you will have trouble. Why? Because this world is cursed with sin. So when you are in this world, you are going to have trouble. But take heart, Jesus says, for I have overcome the world. This means that while there's victory, there's going to be challenges. And I don't know about you, but if I'm just being honest, if I'm just being honest, whenever I read about suffering and persecution in the Scripture... I always think selfishly, what's that going to look like for me and my family? I mean, really, God, what is it? What what is the persecution and suffering actually going to look like for us? What is the loss we are going to experience? What's the opposition that we're going to have to work through? But then I begin to learn that when you're reading about suffering and persecution, often it's listed in general terms because it's not the specifics of the pain that you're going through. It's the purpose of the pain. So when you're thinking about the the specifics of the pressure and the specifics of the opposition, it's not that. It's the purpose in whatever comes your way. When you are opposing it, it's how you handle it. When we experience suffering or even temporary loss because of self, Satan, and the world, how we experience that loss determines whether or not there's purpose in our step. Purpose in our pain. So it's not so much about what kind of suffering it will be as much as how we handle it. Because of this, church. Because just as salvation brings glory to God, so does suffering. Just as being right with God brings glory to God, makes, his, makes Him famous, tells people of who He is and character, same thing with suffering. Because when we are going through self-Satan in the world and we're handling it, living by faith with, a, with joy in our heart, it doesn't make sense to the world looking home. Sometimes it doesn't even make sense to Christians, but it inspires us too. And God gets the glory when they answer the how. I'm, I'm probably 19, 20 years old. My grandmother on my mama's side is in her hospital bed in her living room, not in her bed but in her hospital bed in her living room. And I'll never forget it. I walk in there. She's in her hospital bed, and she has both legs amputated from the knee down, suffering. And she said, Andy, John, come over here. I want us to pray. I said, yes, ma'am. And I thought, she's going to ask me to pray, and she, she just started praying. And this is what she prayed. She said, God, thank you for my life. Thank you for how good you've been to me. You don't think God gets the glory out of that? I'm still talking about it now. That happened 20 years ago. And a reminder to me of how a faithful saint of God handled suffering in our life. Seen others do that in my own family, seen others do that in his church family. It's inspiring to me when we get prayer requests from some of you that are going through a terrible time. It's inspiring to me that you submitted the prayer request while being in church. You have given us the card while you're here to hear a word. You could just as easily just stay home and cover up. I mean, it's inspiring. It's encouraging. It's glorifying to God when we handle it the right way. Suffering, just as well as salvation, can be for his glory. And yes, suffering can work on us too to sharpen us and refine us. Scripture says in Ecclesiastes that it's better to spend our time at funerals than at parties because it has a sobering and lasting effect on us. Doesn't it? We go to a funeral and it's terrible. Obviously it's, it's, this is, we're seeing the wages of sin is death. Like we're seeing this. We know that there's hope. We know God is saved. We know where they are. But it it really brings our feet to the fire, so to speak, and reminds us of who we are and who we need to be every time. Suffering does that. Suffering also can be to his glory. i want to read you this. I read this this week. He says, when we respond to suffering well, we practically demonstrate to the unbelieving world that Christ is more glorious and more precious to us than any pain or difficulty we might endure. Faithful suffering is following Christ. Let me give you this verse in First Peter chapter 4, verse 19. So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you for he will never fail you. Sometimes we're tempted to suffer for what's wrong when we face opposition. And when we can suffer in two ways. We can suffer what's wrong. We can suffer what's right. We can be left on the outside. I even say this to students. Students, you can be left on the outside and suffer for what's right and stand for your convictions and your faithful walk in the Lord Jesus Christ, or you can suffer what's doing wrong and follow the rest of everybody else. That's not just for teenagers. Heck, that's for all of us. We can suffer for right or we can suffer for wrong. And when we suffer for right, the scripture says, keep on doing what's right and trust your lives to the God who created you. For he will never fail you. Acts chapter 14, verse 22, Paul and Barnabas reminds us, the church, we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. I read a quote this week by J. Vernon McGee that said, when you get to the place where he lets you suffer for him, you have arrived. Lord, help us. Amen. Final point is this. Isolation is not ideal. No man is an island. Your family is not meant to be to come here, surround yourself by each other, not open yourself up to anybody else, not allow anybody else to help you and go back home and eat dinner. Isolation is not ideal. Notice what the scripture says. And Paul says to them, after all of this, he says in verse 30, we are in this struggle together we go through these things together and this is just a a solid reminder that you don't have to go through all of this alone i'm not talking about church attendance i'm talking about coming here and actually getting involved in people's lives getting to know them and them getting to know you we don't come in here just because we're going to check off the list and we don't come here just to get ministered to we're going to come here because we're going to need you to minister to us And you can count on us to minister to you. This is the idea that he has together, of standing and fighting together, suffering together. And yes, we're at a distance right now. And hey, thank you all for being here this morning. And I know right now it's crazy. I know it's craziness. And we all, it's like an awkward first date. We don't know if we can hug or side hug or shake hands. It's weird. I know that. And it's at a distance, and maybe even right now, where you keep, you're saying things like, well, you keep saying together, how are we supposed to do things together when we can't get together? Paul is not standing in front of them. He's writing to them from prison. Pick up the phone and call somebody and tell them you love them. Send a card. I'm pretty sure that COVID is not transmitted through the through wireless connections. We can still get this done. The worst thing the church can do is see the opposition that stands in our way and go, well, we can't do church. Are you kidding me? He's writing from prison a letter. He's not putting his arms around them. He's doing all this through writing, through correspondence. Man, settle in and get tough and be the church. Amen? Together has to happen regardless of pandemic or not. One of my good friends buried his brother recently. Family's hurting. Been through opposition for a long time. And he stood before a congregation. And he ministered to others as others had ministered to him. And he put this in his message. And it was so good, I took my phone out during the funeral and I typed it in my phone so I could tell you. But this is what he said. He said, find someone who's struggling and take part in their lives. Find someone who's having a terrible time. Find brokenness and take part in their lives, church. Because this is what, yes, we come together for fellowship. Yes, we come together for worship. Yes, we're going to play wiffle ball at Toyota Field. Awesome. Yes, we're going to serve beside each other. And yes, we're going to learn together. And we're going to grow together. But we also are supposed to struggle together. Which means when you're going through a struggle, don't withdraw. That beats the fire out of me. We're plugged into church and we're ministering to other people and then all of a sudden we go through something and we don't want you to know about it. Give me a break. Everybody's got something going on. The worst thing you can do is run from the place that's supposed to be pouring into you. Now, y'all going to make me mad if you do that, all right? But I've just seen that happen over the years that as soon as something happens... People begin to leave the place that is supposed to be standing with them. And more often than not, people are waiting to stand with you. But we can't get you on the phone. Can't get you to reply to an email. You're acting like you're so pious that that nobody should be able to pour into you. Can I tell you that everybody from the pastor to the prisoner and everybody in between needs counsel, needs guidance, needs leadership. And thank God for those that when they are struggling, they run straight to the church. Standing together, fighting together. One in spirit, one in purpose. And I believe that that happens best when the body of Christ is a priority. When the body of Christ is a priority and we're developing closer relationships over time, all this stuff begins to happen just the way God said that it should. Amen? Our worship team is going to come now. If you would stand to your feet as we begin to close. Now, this is not shutting the service down. This is getting ready to respond time. Amen? Amen? But as our worship leaders come, let's prepare our hearts for what we are, are are about to do. We've got the next few moments with an open altar to come and pray for somebody who is struggling. We, we need to pray as a church continually that God would protect us and use us. And if God protects us, we need to work for His glory. If if trouble should come, then we need to show the outside world looking in how to endure it. Amen. This altar's open for you. We got counselors here for you. We got pastors here for you if you need some help. Or if today, today's the day to stop playing games. I'm ready to be saved today. I'm ready to join a church today. I need to be baptized today. It's time for you to take your next step. You can walk this aisle. Tell one of our pastors. You can catch us afterwards. But if you need to be saved, I'm going to tell you one more thing. Right where you are, when we bow our head and close our eyes here in just a moment, you can call upon the name of the Lord to be saved right there. Then just tell us. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, what an honor it is to share your truth. God, we're so grateful for the living, enduring hope we have in you that if we are in Christ, we have eternal life. Lord, it's my prayer today over our church, God, that you would help us to endure in the face of opposition. We do pray that you would protect us, but we would also pray that you would use us, Lord, for your glory. Lord, I pray over each and every family, each and over every personal request and need. Pray, O God, that today's message is ministered to them, but pray, O God, that every moment, moment by moment, we would choose faith over feeling. We need you continuously. Use us, O Lord, for your great glory to a world that needs you. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar is open for you.